You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, please turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians 2, as we keep journeying through looking at uh, the book of Galatians and really trying to discover again afresh God's radical grace for us because radical grace knows no bounds. And this is why God's grace is so radical. It's transforming and liberating and empowering beyond our initial grasp. Now, human grace, this is why it's so radical to us. Human grace, at least in the way that we interact with each other and the way we treat each other, what grace should be, human grace has regulations and tariffs and clauses to really keep people down or to empower ourselves. But God's grace, it is from another dimension. And this is what Christmas really is. It is a celebration of God's radical grace invading our space and time, touching down in that little town of Bethlehem to be crucified in that big city of Jerusalem to save sinners like us. And that's what Galatians reminds us of. And what, the, what this letter keeps showing us, what it means to live from and to live for God's radical grace and to really keep in step with the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul shows us today, beginning in verses 11 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one there on the ground next to you. It's around, I think, page 1032, or you can use your device, and let's read. As we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word, and we'll begin in verse 11. Now, we're in the middle of Paul's story that he's giving, how he's defending that he really is an apostle to keep these Galatians from listening to false teachers and why they should listen to him and the message he's teaching. Now he continues in his story in verse 11, and the Spirit tells us, but when Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew, separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Help us to not deviate from the truth of the gospel. To discover what it means to live boldly free in your radical grace and to treat one another in that way too. Help us, King Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When was the last time that you had to oppose someone strongly? When was the last time you had to confront someone or someone confronted you? Or you had to go against someone? I can tell you that this last week when I was with my family, I found myself in a serious matter of opposition. While with my family, I found myself in a battle. While there, standing in line for a Dole Whip float at Disney World, these rascally teenagers are trying to cut in line. 
and breaking all protocol and all social cues for waiting in line. And my wife, actually, she spotted it out first. She goes, you see those girls? She goes, they're trying to cut right in front of us. You better do something. You're a man. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I, I can do something. And look, we're at the happiest place on earth. We're not going to cause a big scene. But these, these girls, they were just texting on their phones and whatever else they're doing. And they're just kind of scooting with their backs, kind of backing up in the little gap this dad and I had with each other. And I saw them, so I just marched right up. I didn't say anything to them. I just kind of turned my back to them, got right in front, and just kind of spread out across. <laughs> and they kind of, after a few moments, they took it and went back and then went to the back of the line. Victory was had. <laughs> Victory in Jesus. Now, if you've had a Dole Whip, you know why this is so important. And how in the world does this apply to Christianity? Let me, let me show you. What does Paul confront Peter over? Is it Peter's preaching? It is not. Does Paul confront Peter over his doctrine? He doesn't. Does, does Paul confront Peter over his philosophy of ministry? No. It's about his table manners. About food. Peter isn't just being rude here when he withdraws from these Gentile Christians. Peter, by his actions, he's actually amending the terms of Christian fellowship. And this is Peter's error. Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11. But when Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He's wrong. Now, Paul comes back to Antioch. Peter's there. And maybe Paul was on one of his preaching circuits that he normally went on. And he arrives and sees a huge mess. Now, Antioch is a very significant city in Roman history and in church history. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Diverse, I mean, Caesar, Julius Caesar himself invested bukus of money and technology into Antioch. They called it Rome of the East. They had the theaters, the aqueducts, the colonnades with marble floors and with a stone roof. This is an important city, an important city for you and for me because this became a church planning hub. And this city, the book of Acts tells us, this is when we are first called Christians there in Antioch. Before we were called followers of the way, but they called them, these are the folks of Christ as a kind of a derogatory term. And the Christians like, you're right. We are the folks of Christ. Antioch planted churches. Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas to plant churches. This is an important city, but now Paul tells us about an important moment in this important city and our history. A time when Paul and Peter get on a collision course head to head. Mano y mano, apostle a la apostle. What happens? I opposed him. This is crazy to think about. If TMZ or bloggers would have been around, this would be everywhere. Two apostles, Paul opposing him to his face because he stood condemned, dead wrong. What was he doing? Verse 12. For he regularly ate with Gentiles. He, Peter had abandoned the Old Testament dietary law. He knew it's done. I can eat with Gentiles and I can eat with Gentiles eat. But even though this took some shaking loose, the book of Acts gives us the history of it, that in chapter 10, Peter's praying. And while he's praying, it's so amazing. The Bible says he's praying and he goes, man, I'm hungry. And it's amazing that Peter doesn't go, you know, Lord, just suppress my hunger. He goes, I got to get something to eat. And he's going to get something to eat, but then he falls into a trance, into a vision. And the vision is now this sheet is being lowered from heaven. And when it gets in front of Peter, it has reptiles and birds and all these other unclean animals he would normally never eat as a Jew. And a voice tells him, get up, Peter, 
kill, eat. And Peter, being the untrained hunter that he is, he's a fisherman, goes, no way. I don't eat anything unclean, Lord, no way. God says, let me, let me tell you a vision again. Gives a vision again, happens three times. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And finally, the voice from heaven says, do not call unclean or unpure what I have called clean. And then after that vision, there's a knock at Peter's door. Two guys going, hey, this man, Cornelius, Gentile, he had a vision and he was told to, for us to come and get you. Will you come to his house? All right, he goes, he meets Cornelius. So you have a Jewish man meeting a Gentile man. One man had a vision about, hey, bring Peter here. Peter has a vision about these animals are no longer unclean. And the Bible says that Peter said to them in Acts 10, Peter said, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit with a foreigner. We don't hang out together. But Peter thinks about his vision. God has shown me not just the animals, but you who eat these animals. God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. And then he preaches the gospel to them. He believes, his family believes. Now Peter's learning the gospel, it's not just for Jews, but for any race. It's not just for people who adopt Jewish customs, but it's offered to all. So Paul is showing us, hey, Peter, he did dine with Gentile brothers and sisters in Antioch. Verse 12, for he regularly ate with them. This was the background. Honey-baked ham, fired up. Steaks without the blood drained, medium rare, we call that. Let's go. Wrap it in bacon too. It's all kosher now. Peter knew he's free from this part of the law. You don't have to become a Jew to be righteous. You don't have to become a Jew and eat like a Jew to be accepted and forgiven by God. You only need faith in Christ. And I can just hear Peter saying, don't you just love the smell of bacon in the morning? But the issue here, friends, isn't just what Peter's eating, but who he's eating with. You see it in this verse. You know it is forbidden for a Jew to eat or visit with a foreigner. Jews don't eat with Gentiles. This is why Peter eating with the Gentiles is a big deal. Now, we struggle to see the significance of eating together because eating is not a big deal for us. We live in a fast food, quick eating, quickly prepared frozen food society. So meals are no longer sacred to us. The frozen chicken nuggets my kid are gonna have tomorrow is not a sacred moment in our home. But people back then, even people in the Middle East today, it was huge production. It's much more meaningful. To eat with someone, is a, to have fellowship over a meal is a symbol of togetherness and unity and solidarity. So Peter's doing this regularly, communicating to these non-Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, we are together and I love you, we're united, we have the same bond of fellowship until, verse 12, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. These are Jewish Christians from the Jerusalem church. They came to Antioch. However, when they came, he withdrew separated himself. Peter's dealt with them before. The circumcision party. People that were teaching, yeah, you gotta believe in Jesus, but you also have to get circumcised if you wanna be a real Christian. 
Yeah, I mean, you gotta have Jesus, but you gotta follow the law. You gotta follow the dietary restrictions. If you're not, you're really not, you're probably not a Christian. You're really not even serious about Jesus. Paul's dealt with them before. Right after this passage in Acts 10, people are hearing about Cornelius and people getting saved. So in Acts 11, this is what happens. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. That story's breaking out, the Cornelius, and what's happened? So when Peter gets to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, there they are again, criticized him. About what? Saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. How could you? They're not like us. They're not the same as us. We're above them. We're not allowed to be with them. This circumcision party, this Jesus plus something else party, couldn't believe that Peter would eat with Gentiles. So in the rest of the book of Acts, and here in chapter 11, Peter tells them about his vision, tells them about Cornelius' vision, tells them how he preached the gospel to them, just like he did in Acts 2, and they believed and they received the Holy Spirit. And what happens in the rest of Acts chapter 11 is they believed. And you're right. God did God can save Gentiles. And then the Jerusalem church was so excited, they sent Barnabas to go and check it out. And Barnabas is excited. And then Barnabas recruits Paul and says, why don't we go and plant churches together? And they go around and travel. This is all in the background here. And now the circumcision party shows up again. And Peter panics. He panics so hard that he backs away and he goes back to the Hebrew national hot dogs. And he does more than even just switch tables. Look what the Bible says in verse 12. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. Two two words. He withdrew and separated. Not just, hey guys, you know know I'm a Jew. These are are Jews. We kind of relate more, have some history, have the same values. I'm sure you guys understand. I'm just gonna eat with them today. It wasn't that. He withdrew, I can't be with you, separated, I will never be with you. I'm not gonna eat with you anymore, I don't know you. He stood aloof from them, emotionally unengaged, physically detached, I don't know you anymore, I'm not allowed to be near you. Peter shapeshifted. He acted one way, but when these folks then came around, he acted a different way. And what is hilarious about this is Peter's name, Rock. Petra, Rock. And instead of being that rock, he liquefies and takes the shape of whatever is around him. Go back a few years earlier. Jesus is on trial before his persecution and a little girl asks him, aren't you a Galilean too? Don't you know him? He shapeshifts. I don't know him. He's afraid. Same reason here too, because he feared, verse 12, he feared the circumcision party. Afraid of what? The pressure, the the cornering, the pain, the exclusion, the difficulty. Peter struggles here and so do we. Which is why we need this word from our brother Paul in Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. It came to Jews first, but also to the Greek. See, this is a chronic battle in the Bible. The gospel really is for everyone. And this is a chronic battle in the Bible, though. The gospel is not just for Republicans. The gospel is not just for white people. 
The gospel is not just for citizens of the United States of America. The gospel is available to everyone, to everyone who believes. So unlike Peter, are you living boldly free in God's radical grace? Not afraid to believe and to live boldly. Does your freedom and your boldness in Christ, does it rise and fall by who you fear or who your faith is in? If you fear not having the acceptance of others like Peter, you won't live boldly from the truth of the gospel. You won't live boldly that you are accepted not by them, not by others, but by God because of Christ's death for you and his resurrection for you. So nothing else matters. Like Paul, he says, I count it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You'll shapeshift, you'll edit the gospel, you'll agree with legalism, you'll back down from legalism because you just want to be accepted. It's not worth fighting over. It's not, to Paul, it was. You'll deviate from the truth of the gospel. Listen, if, if you don't live boldly in the gospel of grace and the freedom in Christ, you will deviate from the truth of the gospel. You, you won't call friends to repent of sin. You'll avoid challenging people on their wrong beliefs. You know, that's just Aunt Tedim. That's what she believes. She's gonna make her racist joke at Christmas. Just everybody, no. You won't boldly tell others how they can be saved. You'll hide your faith in Christ to avoid social persecution and the physical one to come. So unlike Peter, are you, or are you like Peter? Are you motivated by the fear of others or by faith in your risen Messiah King? Peter was motivated by fear and this caused him to pull away from these Gentile Christians in two stages. He, he backed off, he withdrew, separated, distanced himself, aloof, acted like he didn't know them, acted like he can't associate with them anymore. Really saying, I can't eat with you simply because you aren't circumcised, because you aren't a Jew. Yeah, they believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. That's why Romans 1 says, and also the Greek, the gospel is for the outsider. And what was modeled by Jesus that Peter saw for three years? Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus eating with the women of the city. Jesus eating with the outcasts, eating with the outsiders. And what did the Pharisees always say? How could you eat with them? If he knew what they really were, he wouldn't let them hang out with him. Peter saw this for three years and yet he still stumbled. May we never be the people who say, oh, we don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. We don't eat with and hang out with the outsiders. Friends, the gospel is for outsiders, but we operate in fear because we don't want to become an outsider. But with Jesus, we are out in this world, but we are in with him, so who cares? Peter's acting like he can only fellowship with people who have Jesus plus the Jewish law. And Paul says, that is a contradiction to the gospel. Not what, Peter, not what Peter is preaching, but how Peter is living. You know, Jesus isn't ashamed to call these Gentile brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Peter is. And there are people all over this world that Jesus is not ashamed to call brothers and sisters in Christ. But yet, are we ashamed? Would we be ashamed to fellowship with them? Think about what's happening here. 
when Peter is amending the terms of Christian fellowship, he's setting up a new standard for Christian unity. He sets up a new standard for what Christians are acceptable to him. Oh, he, no, he knows they're accepted by God, but they're not acceptable to me. These Greco-Roman, bacon-frying, former Zeus-adoring Christians, just aren't up to par for Peter now. They're not, they're not good enough for him. This is also the sin of racism. Gentiles, they're, just not, they're not as Christian as, as Jews. So you see why Paul opposed Peter to his face. Why he stood condemned, why he's wrong. Peter abandoned the gospel, not just in his teaching, in his living, in his behavior. Adding extra conditions to fellowship betrays the gospel. Adding extra conditions to fellowship betrays the gospel. Because what does the gospel say? The gospel says we're united in Christ by faith alone and his death and resurrection alone and that every Christian is united together in him. We share in his death, we share in his life, we share in the spirit, we share in the scriptures. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We share that Lord's Supper, we share that fellowship. But to tack on extra conditions is to spit on Jesus's blood. So listen, here, here. right now, we need, beloved, to examine our hearts and let the radical grace of God rattle our cages because we can be guilty of wanting to only be friends and wanting to only fellowship with Christians who believe, look, and live just like we do. And that is to deviate from the truth of the gospel. And I've been guilty of this in terms of theology. I love Reformed theology and the doctrines of grace. I'm sure some of you do too, and you may love Reformed teachings and disagree with Arminian doctrine. And I know that some of us right now, you don't even care about those phrases and categories I'm using, and that's fine. But I know other people are now really starting to care about these phrases I'm using. Now, they're really, you may have been dozing off, and then you heard me say Arminian. You're like, what's he talking about? Listen, if we separate and withdraw from Arminian Christians who are crucified and raised with the same Christ, then we are functional legalists. We are a living denial of the gospel we claim to believe. And this is a tragic error that I've been guilty of. What about you? What categories and ways are you intentionally or even subconsciously adding to what's required for you to have Christian fellowship with someone? And it usually goes something like this. Yes, I, I love all Christians, and we're all one in Christ. We're a family, but, I mean, they think it's okay to drink. Ugh, I, I can't be around them. So withdraw, separate. Yeah, I mean, we're all family in Christ, and it's their personal conviction to not drink. Ugh, lame, I can't be with them. Yeah, we're all family in Christ, but you know, we've just decided as a family, it's just, it's just best for us to only be around other homeschool families. Yeah, we're all family in Christ, but I, we only really fellowship with people in our same life stage. Yeah, we're all family in Christ. I, I, just, I just can't be around other ethnicities and races. It's, I just get uncomfortable. And Yeah, we're all family in Christ, and I love them, but I, I'm just done being around kids. No one laughed in the first service, just by the way. <laughs> I don't know what that says about the second service. 
Yeah, we're all family in Christ, but I mean, they like to pray in tongues. I, no. Yeah, I mean, Jesus loves them. He loves all the little children of the world. That's great, but they're Arminian or they're Calvinist or they believe in infant baptism. I just, this is not, mm -mm. Listen, all of these limiters, qualifiers to our Christian fellowship, they are denials of the cross and the empty tomb. Because what they are saying, yeah, we're saved by Jesus alone, but we need more than Jesus to fellowship. But friends, we are one in Christ alone. As D.A. Carson says, the church is made up of natural enemies. Just think about that. The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And sometimes you'll hear the phrase, uh, like-minded. I like to be around like-minded Christians. And that can be good. It can, it's good if it means people who are gospel-centered, Jesus-first Christians, I love to be around. But sometimes it's code for, I like to be around like-opinionated Christians. Like skin color Christians. Like preferences Christians. Shared legalisms Christians. But beloved, if Jesus isn't first, if Jesus isn't what defines our acceptable fellowship, we are hypocrites to the gospel. And it's heresy. Look at verse 13. So Paul sees this fear, this withdrawal. Then the rest of the Jews, so the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined his hypocrisy so that even, don't miss that word even, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the nicest guy in the Bible outside of Jesus, was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul says about hypocrisy, the word means you're, you're acting. Peter's play acting. He's improvising. He doesn't really believe this, but he's playing the part like he does. Peter doesn't really believe that pork chop fine Christians are not worth fellowshipping with. I wonder if we believe that Christians who vote Democrat aren't worth fellowshipping with. Christians that, man, we could go on and on and on. Christians who didn't graduate high school, Christians who work blue-collar jobs, Christians who work white-collar jobs. He's acting like that's true. And Paul opposes them for hypocrisy. You know when someone gets sick in your family, stomach bug breaks out, what happens? Next kid gets sick. Another kid gets sick. And then the husband gets sick because we're weak. And then if maybe the mom gets sick. It's, un it's contagious and unstoppable, and hypocrisy is a stomach bug in a local church. Look at how contagious it is. Peter's hypocrisy, then the rest of the Jews, and then even Barnabas. Beloved, discipleship isn't just taught. It's caught. Peter didn't hold a seminar. Okay, guys, here's how we're going to withdraw and separate from these Gentile Christians. He just did it, and the rest of everyone caught it mimicked it. Discipleship is caught and taught. And this is a, hypocrisy is a biological heresy. 
Notice I said, it's not a theological heresy. Peter believes the right things. Barnabas believes the right things, but they didn't live them. Biological heresy. Wrong actions, wrong living. And this hypocritical inflation of the gospel of grace that Peter and the gang have fallen into, it's a biological heresy needing rebuke. And I believe that we can call it a biological heresy because look at verse 14. So when I saw that they are all now, they were deviating from the truth of the gospel. The ESV translates as, and their conduct is not in, in line, in step with the truth of the gospel. Biological heresy. This isn't just about being rude. It's not just about table manners. It's that Peter is now no longer straight with the gospel. The Greek word here is ortho, orthodontist. Get those, get those summer teeth that are going this way. Some are going this way. Some are going that way. Get them straight. He's not being ortho, straight with the gospel. He's deviating from the truth. What truth? That we are justified, declared righteous, accepted by God, by Jesus' cross and resurrection alone. Trust in him and his work alone. And listen, right now you can be saved by Christ alone if you believe. You don't have to become like anyone else in this room. You only must believe in Christ. All that's needed, just with the empty hands of faith, believing that Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead, forgiving me and I'll be saved. That's, that's all you need. And now every Christian is defined by that truth. As the Bible says, there's one Lord and one faith. But Peter's teaching by his living, one Lord, two faiths. There's Jesus, of course, one Lord, but then there's Gentile faith and then there's Jewish faith. Do we ever teach that by our actions? Jesus plus Reformed theology. Jesus plus not speaking in tongues. Beloved, this verse should become a cornerstone for us in our church. This verse right here, verse 214, that the way we treat one another, they were deviating from the truth of the gospel but by their actions. This verse is warning us that you, that you can deviate from the truth of the gospel by how you treat other Christians. That we will sooner deviate from the gospel in a small group than we will in a sermon. You will sooner deviate from the gospel by how you treat other Christians during the week than what you hear and read Sunday mornings, quiet times. We need to be a church that has healthy theology and a healthy biology. We can't settle for having good theology but then having a bad biology. We need gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Peter led the church away from gospel culture. Jesus was no longer first in the biology of the church at Antioch. When we talk about culture, it means the vibe of the church, the, the feel, the shared values. The, and what happened in Antioch is they were led astray from the gospel. A gospel culture says, the first thing here is Jesus Christ. Jesus is first. Making much of Jesus and him and him alone. It's all about the Son of God and his death on the cross for us and his no longer dead self in heaven who is alive for us. That is the most important reality in the universe. And if you're good with that, you're welcome here. White, black, Hispanic, Asian, welcome. Educated, 
not educated, rich, poor, new Christian, fifth generation Christian, young, old, single, married, come on in. Medium rare steak lovers and well doneers, welcome. Vegan, you too. <laughs> Homeschool, public school, teetotalers, home brewers, people who amen in sermons and the frozen chosen, welcome. <laughs> Reformed, Arminian, infant baptizers, immersion believers, this church is for you because Jesus is for you. Amen, amen Perkle. Because here at Redeemer, Jesus must be first. Not a denomination, not a doctrine that's not critical to the gospel. We have all different, like people get obsessed with end time stuff. We have all different end times beliefs. Not, not, not everyone here believes the same end times thing. Not everyone here believes the same thing about Calvinism or Arminianism or even speaking in tongues or can I raise my hands in worship? We all believe different things about other issues, but Jesus is first. And the great hymn writer and pastor John Newton said, writing to a believer who was having a conflict with another believer, he said, the Lord loves that believer and bears with him. Therefore, you must not despise him or treat him harshly. In a little while, you will meet in heaven. View him personally as a kindred soul with whom you are to be happy in Christ forever. At that meeting, you will not complain of the way by which the Lord brought you. I hope to hear that all animosities, little and big are buried by mutual consent in the Redeemer's grave. Anything else, beloved, is to deviate from the truth of the gospel. And Paul opposes this. So should we strongly. Look at how he does it. I told Cephas in front of everyone. He did not pull him aside. Hey, can I talk to you for a second? This is too important. This church was on the brink of disaster. And no one was doing anything else about it. Paul says, I'll do something about it. He rebukes him in the presence of everyone. If you who are a Jew, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Right now, beloved, we, we must choose today to ban the habit of injecting superiority into our preferences and into our differences and into our freedoms and our opinions. Oh, we love it. We, we get a high off of injecting the feelings of superiority in our differences. Oh, I believe this theology and they don't. Oh, you just feel that superiority just rises. I mean, and even just over non-eternal things, like, I think crunchy peanut butter is vastly superior to creamy peanut butter. And when my kids are like, nah, I'm like, what? You're an idiot. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> it's just in my flesh. I just feel, I'm like, why do you believe that? <laughs> and like with iPhones versus Androids, I'm like, why would anyone want anything else? They just not love their humanity? What is their problem? <laughs> see, it's just in our sinful nature just to see these differences and to see our preferences and opinions, and we just love to inject that HGH of pride just into our bloodstream. But if we've been crucified with Christ, we have a new bloodstream now. 
So ban the habit of injecting superiority into your differences and freedoms. When it comes to Bible reading, our theology, how much we serve in the church or how much we give or... Notice, Paul opposes that. And it says Peter stood condemned. He's flat wrong. Tells him publicly in front of everyone to rebuke this biological heresy. And right now, beloved, this, this reminds us anyone can slip. Anyone is capable of bumbling in the ripple effects of the gospel. Peter does. A lot, actually. And yet, he's restored. You've bumbled, I have. You can repent and turn. Peter did. And also, on the other side, no one is above being rebuked either. Sometimes in church cultures, it's like, oh, I don't know, we can't rebuke the leader. Paul does not care. There's no internal dialogue with Paul. Man, people are gonna think he's the Pope someday. I don't know. I don't know if I wanna say this or do anything. Doesn't care. Because in a gospel culture, no one is unrebukable in love. No church leader, no husband is unrebukable. No parent is above correction. Because if someone is betraying the gospel, deviating from the truths of the gospel, then we, we have the Christ-centered motivation and spirit of God to move forward in boldness to tell them the truth. Your personal fidelity to the gospel matters. Our church-wide fidelity to the gospel matters. That's why Paul tells him, you're a Jew, but living like a Gentile, okay, and you want Gentiles to live like Jews, doesn't compute. There's a disharmony there because when anything, when Jesus is no longer first, disharmony breaks out. When Jesus is no longer first, disunity and incongruence is what flies out in our lives, and we must oppose it. We must make sure Jesus is the defining quality in our lives because the result is hypocrisy biological heresy, and you must, beloved, oppose it in yourself and lovingly oppose it in others. This is the key to a vibrant local church, gospel doctrine and gospel culture. This is more important than table manners and definitely more important than Dole Whip. This is about radical grace. And let's fight for it together. And I think then we'll make the real gospel recognizable. And Tom Ball and beyond. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Would you show us kindly ways that we are subtly and even subconsciously deviating from the truth of the gospel? We wouldn't teach these things, but we live them. So Lord, show us. And even now, church, let's confess, confess our incongruencies to the Lord. Confess our hypocrisies to him. Confess our sins of superiority and, and our additions to fellowship. King Jesus, would you help us? Would you protect our hearts, our minds? And would you truly help us to love one another as you have loved us? 
to outdo one another in showing honor and to not bite and devour one another, to not use our freedoms against one another, but to be those who have been crucified with you. And it's no longer us who live, but you in us. And the lives we now live by faith, we live in you, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. And so now we love our brothers and sisters and give ourselves for them. And it's in your mighty name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.